it's not only the uh, 21st century thinker or mind that finds stories like these less than straightforward. Any person who reads a story like this is confronted with some profound questions. Is it possible for any person to exercise authority like this? And if a person does exercise this type of authority that Jesus appears to, how are we to regard such a person? There's a number of examples in the scriptures or in the gospels of how unshakable Jesus was in the various circumstances that he faced. Even as those around him were panicking or abandoning themselves to their reactions, uh, Jesus just seems to be very, very focused. You might remember the reading from Mark 3, it was about two weeks ago, the binding of the strong man passage. And at the end of that, if you recall, um, Jesus is surrounded by a large crowd of people at his home, or actually it wasn't his home, it was some other place, and the teachers of the law and his closest family members came and accused him of having lost the plot, basically. They think, thought he'd gone mad. Jesus does not react to their accusations. He explicitly orients his reference point, and he says, whoever does the will of God... That is my brother and sister and mother. Rather than resonate with the reactions of those around him, Jesus always takes his father as his ultimate reference point. So when the disciples wake Jesus in a panic in this story today, accusing him of not caring about them because they thought they were going to drown, Jesus does not get caught up in their panic. And they obviously were panicking, and you can tell this because a number of the disciples were fishermen. It was their bread and butter to sail on these waters. They had encountered storms before. Jesus was a land-based carpenter. He might have built a boat, but he didn't sail them. When experienced fishermen turn to a carpenter for help on a boat in a storm, you know they are panicking, right? And by contrast, Jesus doesn't panic. He stands and knows exactly what to do. The disciples, like most of us, were very influenced by what was going on around them. They watched their circumstances. They watched the people around them. They saw the movements of the crowd in different circumstances. And we see this come to a climax in the stories around Jesus' arrest, if you might remember Everything Jesus did indicated that his ways were non-violent. And yet, when soldiers came to arrest Jesus with swords, his disciples reached for swords. They reacted to what was going on around them. When the arrest had taken place and Peter was in the high priest's courtyard and accusing type questions from those who were also there in the courtyard came to Peter... He was so influenced by their accusations of him that he denied any association with Jesus. We know that pressure too, don't we? Most of us are aware that we adjust our behaviour according to who we are with and the context that we're in. We take our cues from our social situation. We allow circumstances to somewhat tell us who we need to be. 
In this storm, the disciples react to their environment. The wind and the waves so fill their consciousness, they forget how to manage a boat in a storm. Jesus, however, consistently looked to the Father for purpose and identity. Even though circumstances changed constantly, the Father does not. So Jesus was able to maintain a steady sense of centeredness. You remember after meeting the woman by the well in Samaria in John's Gospel, chapter 4, the disciples urged Jesus to refresh himself with some food and Jesus responds by saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus had a very clear and uncompromising sense of who he was and what he was about. But here in the wind and the waves, and we can understand the wind and the waves here to be somewhat emblematic, I think. The sea had long been regarded as the uncreated space. Before the creation process begins, right back in Genesis chapter 1, we read in verse 2 that the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God or the wind of God, was moving over the surface of the waters. And so we have these two elements We have the wind and the waters. It's a creation thing. The wind and the waves are the very definition of uncreation. And remember that the creation idea for the ancient Near Eastern mind is about organising things for a purpose. And neither the wind nor the waves can be so organised. And to this day they may remain forces that threaten to destroy order. Talk to anybody in the southeast of Victoria in the past week. Or indeed, if you've ever seen the, the footage of the waves hitting the Collaroy coastline and taking away swathes of the beach there and threatening houses and seeing them fall into the sea, these things threaten our order. Now, many things in our life are beyond our capacity to order. For all the care we might take with our health, There remains a randomness to all sorts of illnesses that is beyond our understanding. You can be as careful, as sensible, as healthy as you like, and things happen that we don't understand. For all the care we might take with our finances, there remains world forces that can trash our investments without warning. You could be as careful as you want to be. For all the care we might take with our family and friends, each person is free to decide how they will engage the world and how they might regard and relate to us. Much of life remains beyond our power to control. And here the wind and the waves kind of represent that beyond our control bits of life. The disciples could not reach for some kind of turbine prop engine to just zip them out of this threat. They call on Jesus. And rather than Jesus rescuing them out of the situation... He helps them to manage what's going on. We see the same dynamic evident when it comes to the uncontrollable phenomena of crowd contagion as Jesus moves around crowds and they behave in all sorts of interesting ways. Crowd contagion is that bizarre situation where people get so caught up with with the attitudes and behaviours of the people around them that they give themselves over to the kind of mind of the collective. 
It's a bizarre kind of thing. We see an example of this in the cries for Jesus' blood as he stood before Pilate in the mockery of a trial that he faced there. And the text tells us that, uh, this is from Matthew 27, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas to be set free and for Jesus to be put to death. And Pilate is a bit stung by this, says to the crowds, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? And they don't even answer that question. They just cry out, crucify him. And the bizarre thing about this is Jesus was widely regarded by the people as a very good bloke. He was known for healing the sick. He pushed back against the oppressive excesses of religion. He did other acts of compassion and kindness and love. Nobody would ever have said Jesus deserved to be crucified. But in a crowd baying for his blood... People gave themselves over. It is as if they are both part of the crowd and at the same moment possessed by the crowd. Jesus never allowed himself to get so caught up or possessed like that. We observe his cool-headed objectivity in a story like the one in Luke 4 where Jesus had been asked to speak to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, And he said some fairly confronting things. And the text tells us all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things and they got up and drove him out of the city, not in a car but in a crowd mass pushing him out, and led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But, the text tells us, passing through their midst... Jesus went his way. And you kind of go, hang on a minute, how does that work? How does a person who is being run out of town by a mad mob quietly make his way through the crowd and go his own way? And to find the answer to that, here I turn to the authoritative uh, text of early Bugs Bunny cartoons, which some of you will be familiar. You might have seen this uh, phenomenon. Frequently, Bugs Bunny would be chased by a group of angry characters, you know, with their guns and pitchforks or whatever's going on, and they'd catch him and they'd all pile on. And they'd be kicking and fighting and punching. And meanwhile, as this, the dust settles, Bugs Bunny will wriggle out the bottom and kind of dust himself off and walk away. Now, that is literally a cartoon interpretation, but it's picking up a real phenomena. Jesus was not affected by the crowd contagion. He did not allow the mob to intimidate him or possess him. His focus was the will of the Father and it gave him supernatural authority in those sorts of situations. Now, next week I plan to look at the story that follows this one in Mark's Gospel. Jesus delivers a tormented man from a legion of demons. So hold this week's story in mind as we read on to next week's story because these two stories kind of speak to each other. But to finish this one, no matter how you read it, this authority that Jesus uh, exercises over the wind and waves is shocking. It's deliberately so. The text tells us that the disciples themselves were 
shocked, terrified, amazed. And those of us who hear this story subsequently are meant to be equally shocked, terrified, amazed. I mean, we stand here with some 2,000 years of tradition and church history and the original impact of this story has possibly been eroded somewhat due to the assumptions that we hold it as we hear it. Um, either our sceptical 21st century minds suspend credulity and we just hear another mysterious religious yarn, or we're so accustomed to Jesus being heralded as God in the flesh that we just kind of shrug and move on. But there's nothing normal about what happened here. No one else in all of religion or history has had a story like this told about them. Now, there are various pantheons in various traditions that associate specific deities with particular weather patterns. I know about that. But there's no one who displays such an overarching authority. This story is meant to beg the question that is actually asked by the disciples, who, who has authority like this? As we hear it, we are meant to be challenged. It's supposed to reorient who it is we understand to hold ultimate authority. Because in Jesus' day, only the Caesar was understood to have absolute power. But even the Caesar could not speak to the elements of chaos and bring order. This story leaves us very little wriggle room. We either dismiss its veracity or we accept that Jesus has an overarching authority. It means our interest in Jesus cannot be a mere side project with the status of a hobby or a recreational pursuit. The way the story portrays Jesus deliberately removes that option from us. It's Hudson Taylor who famously quoted, is famously quoted as saying, Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. The gospel writers want us to make a decision. Will we accept Christ as the ultimate authority? Will we recalibrate our lives, allowing Christ to take up that central place? Will we cry out to him and allow him to rescue us, not out of our lives, but more fully into our lives, giving him the space to bring order where there has been uncreation and chaos? Will we not only accept Christ as saviour, but also offer our lives joyfully to follow in his ways of grace and love as our Lord? That's what this story is asking. That's our decision. That's what we've got to decide. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace that continually brought good order out of destructive chaos. We thank you that it continues to do so today as we put our trust in you. Lead us by your spirit to do just that, to the glory of your name. Amen.